I remember when little Kyle was, I don't know, he started drumming about five. That's when his ministry started. He's five years old. And he came to me one time, I think about eight, nine. He said, you know, I just don't think I'm going to be playing anymore. And I said, well, see, that's part of the deal of living rent-free in my house. See, amen, you want to live here, you know, got to play the drums or pack your bags, got to go. Well, amen, he decided it was worth it, amen. No, I just thank God for all of them. They're a blessing to me. Has it not been just tremendous this week? Beautiful crowd. Whoever's here tonight, God ordained for you to be here. It is absolutely the ordained will of God that you're here tonight. And if you will open up your heart, open up your ears, open up your mind, let God by His Spirit begin to touch you and talk to you tonight. You'll leave here different. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. You'll leave here different. Amen. Amen. It's, a, it's the good news, as He said. It's a good news. The good news is the gospel. Amen. Thank God there's good news. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because everything in my life was bad <laughs> until Jesus came in and made it good. <laughs> how about you? I remember a lot of you how bad it was, but now you're not where you used to be. Thank God. You're not who you used to be or where you used to be or what you used to be, but you're different. Aren't you thankful that any man be in Christ? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Aren't you grateful today, amen, that He gave you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning? Aren't you thankful that He gave you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? Aren't you thankful tonight, amen, that He healed your mind? He healed your body. Amen. There were people in here, hallelujah, you were bound on drugs, but God set you free. Aren't you thankful tonight that the good news was preached? Well, I've come to tell you, this man of God's going to come and he's going to preach the goodness of God. The good news. It's exciting. Hallelujah. I don't have no reason to be down. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I want Evangelist David to come. You give him a hand. Come on, church. Give him a hand tonight. Thank him. God bless you, brother. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, keep clapping for Jesus right now. Give Jesus praise. Give him glory in this house tonight. He's great in here. He's beautiful in here. He's glorious in his people. Praise God. What a, what a marvelous night. You know, one of my favorite things about revival is the impact that it has on the pastor. If you were to pin me down what my main goal was as an evangelist, as a revivalist, it would be to be a blessing to the pastor and his wife and to see them revive. Because if you've helped the pastor, you've helped the people automatically. It's just a residual effect. If that pastor is stirred and he goes higher, then the church is going to follow him there. So I thank God for that. And I can always tell when God's impacting that pastor, he starts exhorting like Brother Jonathan is now. I mean, it's real. I've, I see it all the time. And it's a great blessing. I learn a lot of things. Some of the greatest things I've ever learned in ministry came as a result of a pastor getting up and just exhorting like pastor did just then. I'm, I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Aren't you glad for a pastor that's on fire for God? Aren't you glad for a pastor that has life in him and is leading his people in life? What a tremendous blessing. I want to tell you tonight that everybody in this room, your relationship with Christ is in transition. Every one of us, it's either transitioning to a greater level, dimension of the glory of the Lord, a greater Love relationship with Him, greater grace, greater mercy, greater revelation of who He is and His person, or you are digressing. There's no in-between. There were ten virgins, five of them moved higher, five of them walked away. They walked in the opposite direction, right? I mean, literally, they walked in the opposite direction the five foolish did. The five wives moved toward Him. Have you ever understood that when it said at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. It didn't say go up to meet him there. 
it said, go ye out to meet him. And there was time to make adjustment in the relationship that those five wise virgins had with the Lord. And they, they, they begin to develop even more. They, they had extra oil. They begin to pour out. That's the outpouring. It comes through the church. It's not a downpour from heaven. It's a pouring out of the people of God as we worship and magnify God. So they poured out. Their light became more brilliant, gloriously brilliant as it burned brighter. Well, we know that Paul said one day there's going to be a trumpet sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. The same Greek word. Did you know that? The same Greek word as go ye out to meet him. One day Jesus is going to say, come up to meet me. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not going out to meet him right now, there's a good chance you won't go up to meet him. Because there's a lot of people been living off the oil of other people. I want my own oil. I said, I want my own oil. Here's where the, the foolish virgins messed up. They shouldn't have said, give us of your oil. They should have said, let us walk in your light until we can find somewhere to get the oil. We're going to walk with you. See, that was the problem. Because when they said, give us of your oil, they said, not so. We're not going to do that. Then they turned and walked away into the darkness. Think about it. They walked away from the light into gross darkness. And by the time they got back, it was too late. So we're in transition. I was in a place called Big Flat, Arkansas. I bet some of you go on vacation there, don't you? You probably got a vacation planner to go to a place called Big Flat, Arkansas. I don't know how it got its name. I don't know if it's just a, a big flat in the woods or if an 18-wheeler went through and had a bad tire situation. I was like, boy, it's a big flat. <laughs> I don't know how it got its name, but it's called Big Flat, Arkansas. And I was there in revival in 2015. I was going through probably one of the most difficult times in my life as a believer, as a minister, just struggling in my mind like I never had before, thought I was developing Alzheimer's, thought that God might have been kind of just uh, uh, transitioning me out of ministry so that a younger generation could come in. If that's what he wanted, that would have been fine with me. But I'm just struggling there, and I, I, I told Pastor this. I, just, I was staying in the old church. They had a new church, and I, I just literally sat down. I just... I just plopped if I can use that term I just plopped myself down and I'd been seeking the Lord and I was meditating on God and suddenly the spirit of God spoke into my spirit and he said David when Ezekiel got to the end of the river he wasn't treading water he was swimming he wasn't treading water he wasn't fighting to stay afloat he was swimming swimming's recreational how many of you know that swimming's fun Swimming's pleasurable. He is literally enjoying himself in that final depth. And that's what the Lord said to me. And he followed that up by saying to me, he said, David, the testimony of my people that will follow me in the river will be, I can't believe that my relationship with Jesus is this good. So I'm telling you, your relationship with him is transitioning. Whether you want to admit it or not. You may think lukewarm is a neutrality, but it's not. You're shut away. You're out of the fellowship with Christ, and you can claim position all day long. But Jesus said, when you're lukewarm, if you don't repent, the day's going to come. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And how many of you know when he spews you out of his mouth, you're no longer in him? So your relationship matters. We spend a lot of years stressing to people about the power of position. But now we must stress again the prominence of relationship. You must have a relationship with Jesus. You must. You must. What's well, getting quiet in here already now? You're not going to get your offering back, so don't think you are, okay? It's, <laughs> it's already been taken up. That's already taken care of. So you paid for it now. You're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> it's great to be here. I appreciate the great food. Man, it was phenomenal last night. And uh, appreciate what we're going to have tonight. Good to have all the home folk here. Have some wonderful longtime friends from uh, Living Waters that are here tonight. I think Brother Duke and I may be the only two people. Rosarita can correct me. But I think we may be the only two people that can call you Rosarita. She never rebuked me for doing that. Brother Duke told me about this lady named Rosarita. Told me your testimony. 
And I mean, almost immediately when I saw her, I knew that was her. Somehow I just knew that's her. And so I've called her Rosarita ever since I've known her. And that's been almost 20 years as well. So it's good to have all of you, but especially the home folk tonight. Thank you for coming. It's so important that you be here. I'm a local church guy. I get to preach conferences and I get to preach camp meetings, but I'm a local church guy. Man, this is, this is my world right here. You get me out of this, I'm like a fish out of water. But I, I love being here tonight. I love being here to speak to this local house that God is so evidently moving in. And I pray God will bless you for your giving in every way. Amen. You reap what you sow, don't you? If you, if you sow bountifully, what happens? You reap bountifully. That's the word of the Lord. You sow sparingly, what happens? You reap sparingly. So thank you for giving tonight. Thank you for giving big. I know you did. I know you released what pastor said. So we appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Let's stand together tonight. Second Kings, the sixth chapter. Second Kings chapter six. We're going to read several verses here. Verses eight through 17. Second Kings six verses eight through 17. There's two big bottles of Evian water up here tonight. Actually, three in there, I think. So we're not going to have any dry preaching tonight, okay? we got plenty of water up here. <clears throat> I appreciate it. 2 Kings 6, verse number 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. For thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice, meaning there's more than two times. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. How many of you know we don't have to be ignorant of Satan's devices? We don't have to be. We can know what's going on. We can know what the counsel of the enemy is, and it can be thwarted before it ever gets released upon us or as it gets released upon us. He said, go and spy where he is so that I may send and fetch him. <clears throat> and it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Listen to what he said. And he answered, Fear not. Read the next phrase with me. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Say it again. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Not round about the city, but round about Elisha. Hereafter you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It all comes through Christ, doesn't it? Everything we have comes through Jesus Christ, our wonderful Lord. I want to speak to you tonight about getting our eyes opened to a greater reality. And really it's the only reality when you think about it. Getting our eyes open. To a greater reality. Father, I bless your people to hear the word of the Lord tonight. Thank you for what you've spoken into my spirit. I have no ability to deposit this to your people unless you grant it to me, Lord. I'm not going to preach out of my emotion. I want to speak out of my spirit, man. I don't want to speak out of intellect, God, because that would be very deficient. I want to speak out of my spirit, man. For the words that you speak unto us, they are spirit and they are life. Oh God, let me speak from your realm. Let me speak, God, from your throne tonight. And let it be a word from heaven for everybody in this room. God, shift us even higher and deeper 
in the things of God. And I will pray the prayer of Elisha over this people as he prayed for his servant. Open our eyes, God, that we can see that there is more for us than there is against us, God. That there's a greater reality than our problems and our struggles in life. Let us see that tonight, Lord, and manifest yourself in the altar. Not only tonight, but beyond tonight, we pray as you confirm this word in Jesus' name. Everybody shouted, amen and amen. You can be seated tonight in the presence of the Lord. In the spirit realm, both God and satanic forces have intelligence operations that are presently being conducted. They both have intelligence operations that are right now in progress. One situation that we would consider where God had an intelligence operation would be when Moses sent the spies out into Canaan to see what kind of land that it was, to see what kind of people were there, to to validate, as it were. They were meant to validate the fact that it was a good land and a large land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. That would be God's intelligence. Then you have in our text tonight the king of Syria sending spies to find the whereabouts of Elisha. You must understand this evening that a church or ministry that is defeating or frustrating enemy schemes is under constant surveillance of hell. Hell has an eye on this church. Hell is watching very carefully what is happening and occurring in this church. And as they watch and as they begin to spy out the land, so to speak, they are gathering data to track patterns of movement in order to send an attack party against you to attempt to take you out. The common tactic of the enemy is that when he sends that attack party, he begins to surround us. And he surrounds us not just to watch now, but now he is surrounding us in order to overwhelm us. And so we won't have the ability to either resist him or to retaliate back against him. Note the phrase in verse number 14 where it said that there was a great host. That was sent by the enemy. It's really an interesting Hebrew word. It actually means heavy. It means heavy. It, it, it really is in the family of words that has to do with the kabod of God. The heavy weighty presence of the glory of God. So it's almost like that the enemy is manifesting here in the terms and in the means of an anti-glory. It's an anti-Christ glory that is moving against Elisha and his servant. And its purpose is to create a a thick and dense sense of being outnumbered and outmaneuvered. You ever felt that way before? That you're outnumbered? That you're outmaneuvered? That, that the Syrians present a front to Elisha? That he has no, um, no more options now? You're going to have to capitulate to us. You're going to have to surrender to us or you're going to be killed. And so that's how the enemy manifests his anti-glory. That heaviness comes, begins to surround us. We don't feel like that we have an option now, that we're going to have to give in to the dictates of what the enemy is doing. And it's also interesting, ladies and gentlemen, that this occurred under the cover of night, that the the, the king of Syria did not send these troops against Elisha and against the city, but when, when it was daylight, he did it under the cover at night, when Elisha would not have known, but I'm sure he probably had insight from heaven what was going on. The servant didn't know it, but probably Elisha knew it. He thought this would be a good time. There will be an element of surprise in that. So they did it in the cover of night. And when Elisha's servant got up the next morning and started making the coffee, it's probably Folgers or Maxwell House, more than that, <laughs> trying to make the coffee, scramble the eggs. He hears the stirring of the chariot wheels and he hears the neighing of the horses and he lifts up his eyes and now the sun's peeking over the horizon and it's starting to illuminate what he didn't know was there. What began to occur during the night, the morning sun is now beginning to display the disturbing sight that they are enclosed on every side. The enemy compassing the city on every side was real. But what if I told you that even though it was real, it was not reality? 
even though it was real that the enemy was there, it was not reality. Some people would classify it as Elisha and his servants' reality, but it's not their reality. It's real. I looked up the word reality one day. I was compelled by the Holy Spirit to look up the word reality. So I got my, 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 my dictionary out and I looked up the term. You know what reality means? It means the sum total of all real things. So you can't just take a little bit of what's happening in your life and call that reality. You can't take this situation and this problem and call it reality because God would have us know tonight that reality is the sum total of all real things. Was there an enemy out there? Absolutely. Were they surrounded on every side? Absolutely. But this servant is about to find out that facing reality was not merely acknowledging the bad stuff that's going on. Some people would call me too positive. I've had people almost imply to me, David Owens, you're not dealing with reality because I don't talk about the bad stuff all the time. I'm not going to get up in the pulpit and descry everything that's going on in the earth right now because I know that's real. I know America's under attack. I know we're in a dangerous situation right now. That's real, but that's not my reality. Come on, somebody. I said that's real, but that's not my reality because there's more stuff that's going on than a government that's trying to destroy this nation and take us out. I want to say it again. Reality is the sum total of all real things. Here's the pattern of many believers. It's to to, to capitulate to what is being dictated to them by the sight and the sound and the substance of their situations. Again, the heaviness. I'm so glad Pastor Jonathan talked tonight about the head, the spirit of heaviness because that's in my notes. Remember the great host. It's a heavy host. There's a spirit of heaviness that is dominating that atmosphere, at least in the earthly realm. And the heaviness we feel is the spirit of heaviness that makes our eyes lids heavy. We want to shut down. We want to close our eyes to everything that's going on. It makes our hearts heavy. It's hard to worship sometimes. It's difficult to pray sometimes. And then those wicked thoughts begin to penetrate into our mind and they lay heavy on our minds. But I'm glad Elisha lets us know that there's somebody that looks beyond what's real and realizes there's a greater reality in an unseen realm. Elisha was aware of the infinite resources of the unseen realm of God. He wasn't denying circumstances. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, believers don't deny circumstances. They defy circumstances. I want to say that again. I said believers don't deny circumstances. They defy their circumstances. Yeah, enemy, you may come in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord is going to raise up a standard against you. There's going to be something come from another realm that's going to manifest, and we're going to be able to march on and walk on in the victory of the Lord. Elisha knew what his servant didn't know. He knew the hosts of the Lord were encamped round about him. How did he know that? Well, it hadn't been that long just a few chapters before he's walking along with his mentor Elijah and suddenly heaven opens up here comes a chariot of fire drawn by horses of fire comes down and parts them asunder and hither and thither and Elijah hops into that chariot of fire and away he goes into the glory of God away he goes into heaven Elijah was there when that happened it hadn't been that long since that lone chariot of fire and pulled by horses of fire had taken that mentor away but somehow Elisha knew that this lone chariot was just one of a much larger sphere of fiery champions in the glory realm that were surrounding him and he knew if God can send one down to take his man out he can send them all down to take my enemy out come on somebody if I can send one down to take my champion out I can send even more 
I just want to tell somebody tonight, stop looking at what's going on around you and realize there's something else that's taking place in an unseen realm. There's a God that's for you and there's more for you than there is against you. You're going to make it through. You're not going to survive. You're going to thrive. You're not going to tread water. You're going to swim. You're going to make it through swimmingly by the power and the glory of God. Elisha knew that. I know that things can get from that realm into this one. I was there when one came for a good guy. So there can be a host of them that can move against the bad guys when they show up. Hallelujah. They can move against the bad guys when they show up. Look at chapter 6 and verses 16 and 17 again. It said, He answered his servant, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the enemy's presence was not reality. It was only real. The enemy's presence and activity in your life is not your reality. It's only real. In fact, let's reduce it even more. It's only facts. And it's against the truth of God. Facts and truth are not the same thing. The Greeks really didn't have a word for truth. Really reality is what they would have used if they would have used it properly in the King James Version. Jesus said I am reality. I like it. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of reality. That means Jesus is the real thing. He's reality. He's transcended above his all. He died and he rose again on the third day he ascended to the right hand of the father and now he ever lives to make intercession for us he's far above it all he's far above every power and principality and might and dominion his name is above every name in heaven and earth and below the earth he's alpha omega he's the first and the last he's the beginning and the end he's the resurrection and the life he is the bread sent down from heaven he is the almighty God he's the everlasting father he is the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. Come on, I'm talking about a Christ that is our reality. There's more for us than there is against us. Come on, give him praise. Woo. Hallelujah. More for us than against us. Now that's reality. That's reality. The unseen realm full of glory engulfed help. That's reality. The enemy unable to carry out their plan. That's reality. Elisha taking control of the situation. That's reality. Listen to me. You've got to remember. What you are now seeing. May not be what you're supposed to see. Well, it's quiet when you can hear the preacher knock on the pulpit. What you're seeing may not be what you're supposed to see. People's going to tell you, well, it is what it is, but what it is may not be what it's supposed to be. You may have taken that in to your soul as your reality, but your spirit man rejects that because he knows better. He has insight into another realm. Look at verse number 18 of 2 Kings 6. I'm just in my introduction, okay? Hang in here with me. 2 Kings 6 and verse 18. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. See, the enemy now that came to surround him, now they have engaged. Now they are moving in attack against Elisha. But listen to what he says. He prays again. I like it. He prays for his servant's eyes to be open, And now he prays unto the Lord. He said, smite this people, I pray thee. You ever prayed that against your enemy? Smite them, God. Take them out, God. Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And I submit to you tonight, this is praying through. 
This is what praying through is. It's when you have the eyes opened to the realm of God and you close the enemy's eyes where they cannot carry out their plan against you. Hear that tonight, ladies and gentlemen. The Holy Spirit wants to pray comprehensive prayers through us. That's why you need to pray in the Holy Spirit every single day. Most of my praying right now is in the Holy Ghost. I pray in tongues more than I pray in English. The Holy Ghost just won't let my little finite mind go out there and get fuzzy and then be back away from prayer. No, He takes over my prayer life and He's praying comprehensive prayers through me. What are comprehensive prayers? It's where God doesn't just deliver you from your enemy, but He places the enemy under your dominion and under your directive when it's all said and done the servant's eyes are open the enemy's eyes are shut in blindness and Elisha is leading them around like a little child that's what victory is that's what praying through is it's not just getting out of your trouble it's dominating your enemy come on give it good, good praise some good praise I said it's dominating your enemy Instead of him leading you around all the time. It's where you take total dominion over him. You begin to control the situation under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about this tonight. We're going to talk about eyesight again. We talked some about that last night. This church has an incredible vision. And a lot of its ministry is going to be built around the fact that you're going to help other people see. So this is a prayer that the Spirit of God is going to help you pray. Lord, open the eyes of the people of God. Shut the eyes of the enemy. Let them dwell in the darkness that they operate in. Let it overwhelm them. Let's look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. You know it well. You know this verse very well. You can probably quote it. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Listen to the next phrase. And recovering of sight to the blind. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. I was amazed where the Spirit of God took me today in my study. I've been studying things in the morning time that I thought I would be preaching at night and maybe tomorrow night. But I was amazed where the Spirit of God took me in this. I believe this is going to be an incredible night of healing for eyesight. I believe the Holy Spirit is literally going to be eye salve on your eyes. And you're going to be able to see again. The Lord's going to give you the recovering of sight tonight. Now, There is a loss of vision that is caused by severe head trauma. Mental stress is what we would call it. Literally physical, mental uh, head trauma. But let's look at it in the term of mental stress. Here's what it's called. I'm not a medical person. I just looked it up on Google, so it's got to be true. (laughs) It's called traumatic Optic neuropathy. T-O-N. It's a ton of trouble. You can remember it that way. Traumatic optic neuropathy. The mental, the, the head trauma is so great that it does damage to the optic nerve. The optic nerve carries visual information from the eye to the brain. But that is severely Severely damaged, it is distorted when that head is traumatized by a blow of some kind. The Lord had me look up the symptoms of T-O-N. I looked it up and I was amazed at how spiritual this really seems to be as the Spirit of God would present it to us tonight. First of all, one symptom is you have partial or complete vision loss. You know how the Lord wants you to hear that tonight? Some of you have come to this service tonight and you have literally said, I don't see how it's ever going to change. That's not your spirit man talking. You're assessing everything from your soulless realm, from your emotional, your mental realm, your soulless realm. 
Some of you have literally said, I don't know how this is ever going to change. I don't think it can change. And you've even gone as far as to stop looking for it to change. You've given into it. You've gone along with it. Now you are complying with it. And the enemy has built strongholds in that area of your life. Another, another element is blurred vision. This is another symptom. Blurred vision. When you have blurred vision, you can't see clearly, obviously. Here's how the Lord wants you to hear that tonight. Some of you can't make decisions. You're in la-la land. You're in no man's land. You've not been able to make a decision about anything. Your will is being dominated by the enemy, and you're not able to make a clear decision. In fact, your convictions are now very much straddling the fence. You blurred the lines. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying tonight? You're blurring the lines. You've had head trauma, and yet now you don't have discernment about right and wrong and good and evil, and you've been making wrong decisions, or you're making no decision at all. That's mental stress. That's head trauma. That's traumatic optic neuropathy in a spiritual form. Get this. The third element or symptom of TON is decreased color vision. There's no color in your life. Everything gets bland. You ever been there where there's no beauty in your life? Everything is bland. There's no green. There's no blue. There's no hues that light up your world. There's not the brilliance of the glory of God. Everything is bland. You're not excited about anything. You're not excited to come to church. There's no color there for you. You're not excited to pray. There seems to be no appeal in it for you. The Word of God. You think, well, it won't do me any good to read the Bible because I don't get anything out of it. You know what that is? That's a decreased color vision. And listen, God wants to give that back to you. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, as Pastor said. There's no beauty in ashes. It's black, ashy, gray, white. I mean, there's no color there at all. It's been removed. And catch this. The fourth symptom is what they call afferent pupillary defect. Afferent pupillary defect, which is literally an abnormal response by a pupil when exposed to light. You don't respond correctly to light. That means you don't want the Holy Ghost to move in church. That means you don't want Jesus to manifest because you've locked in to the self-pity that you're in now. You're used to the discoloration of your life. You're used to making wrong decisions or no decisions. And when God starts showing up to challenge you, you start shutting down and pushing Him away because in Him is life and His life is the light of men. And you don't want Him to manifest that way. Come on, God, the Holy Ghost talking to somebody in here tonight. You've got trauma in your life. You've got mental stress in your life. And it's causing your vision to be distorted. Hear me tonight. Traumatized optics are a means for the enemy to control you. He wants to mess up how you see stuff. He wants to dictate what you see and how far you see. When he traumatizes your optics, it's a means for him to control you. How often do we hear the phrase today? Think about it. Over the last two and a half years, over the last ten years, how many times do you hear people say, I just never saw it like this before. We've never saw it like this before. I've said that more about my nation than I live in in the last two and a half years than I've ever said. I can't believe what's happening in this country. and You can't either. If you're a believer and you're a Christian and you're an American, there's no way you can go for this. Just no way you can. Never saw it like this before. Why is that? The enemy is trying to traumatize our optics to back us off. There's no way anything can change. But I'm going to tell you the Lord healing you to giving back you your sight is not an an optical illusion. It is an optical conclusion. Come on, somebody. I said it's not an optical illusion. It's an optical conclusion. 
I'm seeing more clearly than I ever have before. I'm seeing through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. I'm seeing through the eyes of the Son of God. I'm seeing through the prophetic eyes of the Scripture. And there's no need to stick my head in a sand. There's a reason to throw my head in the air and look up because my redemption's drawing nigh. I never saw it like this, but I've never saw the glory manifesting in the church like I am right now. Hallelujah. Come on. Give me praise in this house. Woo. Come on. Lift your hand up and give God a good shout of praise in here tonight. Hallelujah. I want to show you some things in the Word real quick as we move toward the end tonight. I want you to go to Judges, the 16th chapter. Judges chapter 16. I feel the Holy Ghost. How about you? He's here. Judges 16, verse number 14. Says, and she, that's Delilah, she fastened it, that's Samson's hair, with a pin. And said unto him, the Philistines, Philistines be upon thee, Samson. Listen to what it says. He awaked out of his sleep. So his eyes were already shut, right? He awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam and with the web. Verses 19 through 21. She made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. That's the most famous haircut in history. <laughs> it is. What if they use suave? She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. Here it is again, same phrase. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. So what your Bible says? Is that what the screen says? The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. I want you to hear this tonight, please. Samson's severe optic trauma was preceded by at least two occasions when he, in essence, came under what would almost have to be classified as a hypnotic spirit or a hypnotic spell of Delilah because he's not in an ordinary sleep here okay he's not taking two Tylenol PMs he not overdosed on Benadryl something someone and something together working in tandem Delilah and an evil spirit at least on two occasions put Samson underneath this hypnotic spirit or hypnotic spell. How do you know that, brother? How do you know it's not normal? Because aggressive things are happening to him while he's asleep and he doesn't wake up. When they got your hair and they're weaving your hair like carpet, how many know you ought to be able to feel that and wake up? <laughs> That's not normal to just lay there and let that happen. Not only do they weave his hair, but they cut his hair. I know when the stylist is cutting my hair. I know it. Sometimes I let them wash it and they start massage. I said, I'll give you two hours to quit that. <laughs> I know every time. I know every time they're cutting my hair. I can feel the pull. Feel the tug. I can feel the snip, snip, snip. I see the snow falling off my head. 
<laughs> Every time I get a haircut, I want to sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> Aggressive things are being done to him, and he doesn't wake up. That's not normal. He's under a hypnotic spell, a demonic hypnotic spell. And I want to say tonight, this is what the Spirit of God told me in the room as I was studying today. He said, David, there's going to be people there tonight that are sabotaging their own life. You're sabotaging your own vision, your eyesight. Your ability to see in the Holy Spirit. Your ability to see the divine purpose that God has called you to. You are sabotaging that by shutting your eyes in the presence and in the pleasure of your enemy. And now Samson moves into head trauma. His head trauma manifests by the fact that his locks, the seven locks of his head, were shaven off. And now his connection, his relationship, his fellowship with the Holy Spirit has been cut off. He says, I'm going to play church one more time like I've been doing. I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to dance around and I'm going to fall on the floor and I'm going to make everybody believe I'm really getting something. He gets up and he wants to shake himself. It means like the shaking of the, the mane of a lion. But instead of a roar, it was a meow. It's not there. He's lost it. His connection with the Holy Spirit has been cut off. And now he is under total domination of the enemy. And the move from the head trauma was now the Philistines put out his eyes. Can mean they scooped them out. Can mean they gouged them out. Some people believe maybe they even had a hot burning torch or something and, and stuck it in his eyes and literally melted them out of their sockets. They meant to humiliate this man. His vision is gone. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. Some of you are there. The enemy has done that to you. The enemy is humiliating you. And you're thinking, oh, if I, but hindsight will be 2020, Brother David. You think the Holy Ghost just wants to give you hindsight? You think He just wants to teach you after the fact, after you've messed up and after you've been traumatized? I'm, I'm telling you, we've learned enough lessons the hard way. We need to learn it the God way. We need to submit ourselves under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. Let Him open up the Word to us and not give us hindsight, but give us foresight to let us know what's happening in our life so we can make amends and begin to say, No, devil, I'm not going to go to sleep. You're not cutting my hair. You're not distorting my fellowship with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to live in the power of God and be who God wants my life to be. See, the Bible, Jesus said, the Spirit will show you things to come. That's not hindsight, that's foresight. He will show you things to come. Samson should have realized what's going on. But he's in that hypnotic state. Now watch this. His eyes are gone. It's a fascinating prayer we're about to read. Judges chapter 16, verse 28. Listen to what it says. Verse 28. Samson called unto the Lord. And said, oh Lord God, remember me. Everybody shout, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. Everybody shout, strengthen me. What a prayer. Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. And strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, oh God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. Samson wasn't praying for his hair to get back. Because his hair was in the process of growing. As soon as the enemy cut the hair, it's on its way to growing back again. And the Bible said, how be it the hair of his head begin to grow again. That means it started growing back to the original length that it was when he had consecration and he had fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But Samson said, I want, my, I want to be avenged by the fact that the enemy has taken my vision from me. I want vengeance, God, from my two eyes. Listen to me. Here's how the vengeance of his two 
new eyes manifested. He said, remember me. That's covenant grace. When God remembers you, He's remembering you in the context of the covenant. I feel the Holy Ghost and I said that tonight. I said when God remembers you, He remembers you in the relationship to covenant. That's covenant grace. When Samson said strengthen me, that's consecrational grace. When he said remember me, that's his right eye. When he said Lord strengthen me, that's his left eye. And in consecrational grace and in covenant grace, Samson says to his life, grace, grace unto it. And how many of you know when you're cry grace, grace into something that's in a mess. It's going to be rebuilt and the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Woo! Hallelujah! I want to declare over somebody's life if you'll wake up and you'll begin to pray for let Jesus restore your vision. Your greatest victory is going to happen in your life. You're going to manifest God like you never have before. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. Seek your God. He'll covenant you. He'll consecrate you. And the Holy Ghost will come in power again. what I'm about to tell you. There's healings going to take place in here tonight. 2 Kings 25. 2 Kings 25. Wow. 2 Kings 25. Verses 5 through 7. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king. And overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon. To Riblah. And they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah. Before his eyes. And then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah. Bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. That's traumatic. Optic. Neuropathy on steroids. His severe optic trauma was that his sons were killed with him watching every gruesome detail of their massacre. He watched every detail. He watched the blood leave their body. He watched the last breath leave their body. He watched their skin tone go to pale gray ash. And he watched the rigor mortis set in. And then the enemy does an indescribable horrific thing. They put out Zedekiah's eyes. Why? It's classic demonic activity. They put his eyes out so that the last horrific image he saw would never have the opportunity to be replaced by scenes of great things and new things. Eyes out. Son's dead before his eyes. He's seeing it. Boom. Now there's nothing he will ever see to replace that. You, You see what I'm saying? Now that's burned in his psyche. God talked to me today. God talked to me today. There's some of you in this room tonight you hadn't been able to see since you were a little girl. Because all you saw was a family member coming in and violating you. Traumatizing your life. And then he took your vision. You've not been able to see anything else since then. Nothing's ever been able to replace that. That's all you see. You can't see anything else. All you see is the pain 
and the heartbreak and the horror of the false guilt. The grown-up voice saying it's your fault. Some of you have not been able to see beyond the coroner pronouncing death of a loved one to you. Life stopped at that moment. You saw it happen and boom, here comes the devil. Put your eyes out. And you've not been able to see anything beyond that day. Beyond that moment. Some of you watched a spouse walk out on you. You watched a parent walk out on you. You watched the light, you watched the taillight as it left. And you saw that last flash and they were gone forever. And then the enemy took your eyes out and you've not been able to see anything good to change your perspective since then. Some of you saw the doctor come in in the white coat. Give you the horrific, debilitating diagnosis. It's terminal. You watched them walk out of the room. And then the devil took your eyes out. You've not been able to see beyond that moment. You can't even see the stripes on Jesus' back that Pastor told us of. Some of you made a bad choice somewhere in your life. All you can see is your own failure. All you can see is you destroying your own life and then the devil took your eyesight from you. And you've not been able to see anything. You can't see your wife now. You can't see your children now. You can't see the good job that God's given you because you are so traumatized in your mind. This is going to be a tough one to deal with, but I know it's here tonight. Some of you were the perpetrators in some of those things I mentioned tonight. You saw everything unfold. And after you did the dirty, the devil came and took your eyes out. You've not been able to see yourself any other way but as a dirty, rotten human being. But I want you to hear it again. Jesus is anointed to give a recovering of sight to the blind. My God. Woo! My God. The devil's told some of you you're going to die with these images burned in your psyche. I looked up that phrase. It's very simple. I looked up that phrase, recovering of sight to the blind. It has a very simple, basic meaning. Literally, it means that he gives you the ability to look up. Ah. Because the devil said all that stuff I just described, that's your reality. No, that's real, but it's not your reality. There's another realm with another revelation of something greater. I'm going to read to everybody stand with me. Pastor, if you want to come on up tonight, you feel free to do so. If you want the worship team to join you, they can. Whatever you want to do. Everybody stand with me tonight, please. I'm going to read Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Here's what Christ wants to do tonight. To undo the damage of everything that I preached about this evening. Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 25. He cometh to Bethsaida. He bring a blind man unto him and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. When he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him, Put his hands on his eyes, okay? Get the, get the visual. Put his hands on his eyes, and he asked him if he saw aught. What did it say? Huh? What did he do? He looked up. 
He looked up because that's where Jesus always turned your vision. Not here. Not trying to find something in the earth to counter the terrible image. But looking up where there's only one good. And it's God. He looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. Well, that's an improvement. At least he can see something. But Jesus is not into partial healing of your, your vision. He doesn't stop there. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. Look at the phrase. He made him look up. I see men as trees. No, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong dimension. You're trying to find something good down here. But it's never going to be what you thought it would be. You're never going to see it clearly down here. He made him look up. Why? Because now he's going to look into the realm where Jesus looks. And when he looked up, he was restored. And he saw every man clearly. The trauma's gone. There's no residual effect. He doesn't need glasses. He doesn't need contacts. All he needed was Jesus to heal him and get him looking up. That's what God wants for your life tonight. Seeing into God's realm is seeing reality. Because there we are healed. There we are blessed. There we are whole. There we're seated in heavenly places with Him. That's our reality. Come on, praise Him. I just feel the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost tonight. confident tonight there's healing in this house for mental head trauma God wants to lead you out of the town He wants to lead you out of the environment that you've been living your life in because in both Samson's case and Zedekiah's case, once they put their eyes out, they bound them, took them into captivity. So Jesus had to take this man out of Bethsaida because Bethsaida was one of the towns that he upbraided with his words. Because they didn't take serious his work. So he had to take him out of that environment. In a Jesus, totally Jesus only, and Father and Holy Ghost environment. Jesus made him look up and he saw clearly. I'm not going to go through the whole litany of things tonight again. Okay, I'm not going to rehash them. I'm going to rename them for you. If you were listening, and I believe God the Holy Ghost gave you an ear to hear tonight. When the Spirit of God put his finger on your thing, what went off in you was, could it be? Could I really get free from this yes could I really see could things really look up in my life yes yes brother David I don't know if I want to I don't know if I want to try no let him make you look up submit to him he'll make you look up I want to share this with you real quick in 2015 that hard difficult year Finally got through it. 2016, the Lord brought healing and deliverance over that. But then in January of 2016, something horrific happened in our family. I won't go into it. It's a phone call nobody wants to get. I was preaching revival that week in a church, and I said, God, you're going to have to help me. I'm in shock right now. I'm not sure I can say a word to those people. You're going to have to help me. And he did. 
He began to give me grace for that, but still, I'm not seeing clearly. I go down to Brother Jared's church for the conference that year, 2016. Pastor Lee Ship is there. Lee's a great friend of mine. We're preaching that conference together. I share the story. I kneel down on the platform of Jared Jenkins Church in Carryville, Florida. Lee Ship comes up, inspired by the Holy Ghost, and kneels down beside me, puts his arm around me. And he says, David, the Lord says that the enemy is already starting to regret what he did to your family. Here's how God changed my perspective. I thought it was a wall that every time I thought about it, I was repelled back. It was just a barrier. I couldn't get over it. But the Lord said to me, he said, David, what you saw as a wall, from my perspective, it's nothing more than a speed bump. Because I meant for it to slow you down to seek me for your healing. And a speed bump doesn't stop you. A wall can. A wall can stop you. But a speed bump doesn't stop you. It just slows you down. But how many of you know once you get over the speed bump, you're right back up to speed again in no time? I want to lay hands on people, okay? I want us to pray for people. I want people to be prepared to pray for people tonight. You're going to have to have great courage. You're going to have to have great trust in Jesus. You're going to have to let Him take you out of that darkness you've been in. Out of that environment you've been living in. And if you'll let Him, you'll hear your vision tonight. He's going to give it back. If that's you, I want you to step out. I want you to come. If you're here in this room and you're lost without Christ, come with Him tonight. Come on, I want you to come. Brother David, next to me. Come up here and stand. I want some spirit-filled ladies to be prepared to come and pray for these wonderful people tonight. I feel it already happening. I just feel it already happening tonight. Give me some spirit-filled people up here to pray. He's going to make things are going to be looking up when you leave here tonight. Come on. Everything changes tonight. Jesus is anointed to give sight to the blind. That life you never thought you could have. I'm prophesying over you now. That life you never thought you could have. You're going to have it and it's going to be better. That relationship with your husband, with your family, with that loved one that did you wrong, you're going to have it. My God, there's deliverance occurring up here in this altar.